We are continuing on the chronological life of Jesus, and we are going to pick it up in John chapter 10. So the next thing that happens, so remember, Luke is our template, it's our outline, because Luke, it says at the beginning of Luke, is chronological. So we're going through Luke, and then things that either Luke doesn't cover, we look at in the other Gospels, where it fits in during that time period. So again, we are in, the, we are in about the last four months of Jesus' life. Can you hear me in the back? Am I okay? So we're in about the last four months of Jesus' life. And uh, uh, we're reading in John chapter 10, and, and we're going to be reading from uh, verse 22, John 10:22. At that time, the Feast of Dedications took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they testify of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them. And they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered and said to them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered, For good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Okay, so look back up at John chapter 10, verse 22. The Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication is really Hanukkah. Uh, uh, sometimes it's translated the Feast of Lights because they, they light lights. But really, that word Hanukkah is dedication. So it's the, the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah. Now, Hanukkah is not one of the seven feasts that was mentioned in the Law of Moses. Moses mentioned seven feasts that, that the Jews were, were obliged to to celebrate, and that men very often had to go to Jerusalem for some of those feasts to celebrate. And, and that was part of the law. But um, uh, the feast of... The, and then there was one feast after that, after the seven, that came in from the book of Esther, uh, uh, Purim, where they, they celebrate how they got victory over their enemies that were going to destroy them in Persia when they lived in Persia. So that was another feast. That was an eighth feast that was declared. There's also the, the, this Feast of Hanukkah, and this, or this Feast of Dedication. Now, this is not documented in the Bible. This occurred during the intertestamental period. So, when, when prophecy ceased uh, at the Old Testament, before it started again in Matthew, there's about a 450 or 500 year gap. This occurred in that gap. It occurred in 165 B.C., the Maccabees were rededicating the temple. They had recaptured the temple compound, and they were rededicating it in 165 B.C. And that happened, that happened on, on, the, month, on the month of uh, uh, Keslev, the, that month, on the 25th of that month, which, correspond, on, on, which corresponds to our December 25th, that particular year. So in that particular year, it overlaps with our December 25th. And that's why you see Hanukkah celebrated right around the time of, of the Gentile Christmas. 
it's celebrated. And uh, um, so, so what happened was this feast, though not prescribed in the Old Testament, it was prophesied twice in Daniel chapter 8 and Daniel chapter 11. It prophesied that this event was going to occur. That's one reason to substantiate that as a, as a bona fide Jewish feast. The other is, here in the New Testament, is that Jesus was there observing that feast. He was there in Jerusalem for that feast. And so then again, this is another substantiation that this is a, an old and very traditional feast for the Jews. So this is the Feast of Hanukkah with the, that we call it today. And it took place at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So it was winter. And so again, it happens in the winter time. Since they use a lunar calendar, it shifts relative to our dates a little bit. But it usually happens in around the month of December. And so if you're in Jerusalem in the month of December, I would say that Jerusalem weather is, is somewhat akin to Houston weather in December. So not very cold. You know, it's not Montana cold. But uh, you need a jacket, and it can get cold, and it can snow there. And since that's on a mountain, unlike Houston, it can get much cooler, especially at night. Uh, and, and that's certainly the case in the, in the summertime, whereas here it stays hot uh, uh, all day and all night. In Jerusalem, it actually cools off uh, quite well in the evening, and you get this, this actually very strong breeze in the early evening. And there's, there's documentation of that where they would, they would sift the chaff from the wheat, they would throw it up, and that was usually right around this, this time of about 4 p.m. on these hills, these Judean hills, because the, the wind, just like clockwork, picks up, and, uh, uh, and then it subsides after about an hour. Okay, so, so uh, uh, it says in verse 24, The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So they gathered around him. So this is not a very friendly group of Jews that are gathering around him. So remember, they're, they're now gathered, it says, around him. They are surrounding him. And sure, he had a group of, of 12 disciples with him. But this is now a large group of people are beginning to surround him. And that's never a comfortable feeling, you know, to be surrounded by a mass of people. That, that, that begin to probe you with questions. And they say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So they are accusing him of obscurity, of not coming forth and telling them plainly whether he is the Christ or not, the Messiah or, or not. And Jesus' response to this is, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. So Jesus, on the contrary, does not agree with their accusation of obscurity. He says, I told you. I told you. But remember, by this time, the Pharisees had rejected him. The leadership had rejected him, which brought on the unpardonable sin. And then, by this time, also the masses, as we read a few weeks ago, had started to reject him and to also say that he was possessed by a demon. So it wasn't just the leadership, it was now the masses. And he says, I told you, you didn't believe me. And the works that I do testify of me. What did he tell John the Baptist? When John the Baptist was in prison, John the Baptist had sent his disciples to say, are you the Christ or should we look for somebody else? And so you, you can, you can e even, even see that, um, 
In Luke, in Luke chapter 7, reading from Luke chapter 7, verse 19, summoning two of his disciples, John sent to, sent to the Lord, saying, Are you the expected one, or do we look for someone else? And when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, Are you the expected one, or should we look for someone else? And at that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and he said to them, Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed are those, blessed is he who does not take offense at me. So you see, the same thing that he was saying here, the same thing that he was saying to, uh, um, to these people is the same thing that he had said to John, John the Baptist. He said, look at the works. The works testify that I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. So he's not being obscure with them. The same thing that he told John the Baptist, he's telling them. He said, number one, I've told you. Number two, look at the works. And... Uh, um, so then they say to him, he says, he says in verse 26 of John chapter 10, verse 26, But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. And we're going to come back and, 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 and study this, this verse in particular a little bit more. But let me just continue on. He says, you don't believe because you're not of my sheep, you're not of my fold. And then he says in verse 28, And I give them eternal life. I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I mean, this is the treasure. If you ever wonder whether you've lost your salvation, read this verse. He says, I give them eternal life. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, when you say, Lord, forgive me for my sins and come into my life, you can enter this sheepfold and whether you think you're not saved, it doesn't matter. You are saved. He says, I give them eternal life. If you will come and sincerely come before Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and come into my life. You enter into the sheepfold and he says, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. Your body may die, but you will immediately upon death, your spirit will go to live with Jesus. This is clear. We've discussed this before. And then, your body, on a day of resurrection, will be taken back up. You say, well, what if I'm cremated? The atoms remain. Alright? <laughs> they become part of different molecules, but they remain. He made it once before. He'll pull it back together again. He knows how to do this sort of thing. And he says, he says they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In other words, nobody can take you. Your salvation is sure. Now, you may walk away from following Him. The salvation is sure. You may lose the joy by walking away from Him, but the salvation is sure. You may bring destruction upon your life by walking away from Him, but the salvation remains sure. He says, because no one can snatch them out of my hand, so the devil can't do it. He says, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. So you've got Jesus' hand on you, you've got the Father's hand on you. I mean, it is so secure. And a common thought is, I wonder, you know, am I really still saved? That thought can go away. 
The answer is yes. If you've accepted Jesus, you are saved. Now, what you do with it is another question. Then he says, I and the Father are one. Now, you may say, oh, well, you know, Jesus at one point said, you know, I'm one with my disciples. And No, this is different. When he said, I and the Father are one, he is proclaiming his deity. And if we, in our Western mind, says, no, no, it's not really proclaiming his deity, look at the way these people took it. When he said, I and the Father are one, in verse 30, it says in verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered and said, I showed you many works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you being a man make yourself out to be God. How did the Jews interpret this? That he made himself out to be God, that he was proclaiming deity upon himself. That was their interpretation. This is as, as clear as you can be for speaking that He is indeed the Messiah, that Jesus is God come in the flesh. That's how they understood it. Remember, between Westerners and Easterners, we, we view things and conversations differently within the context of our, our, our upbringing. But here, you see that they took this specifically they took this clearly as being, as, as being a, a, uh, an indication that he was, he was speaking from God. Even today, you know, we use this analogy, that, that even today we see this sort of thing. If, if, if an American says, I'm mad about my flat, it means that you're upset about this puncture in your tire. If you're in the UK and someone says, I'm mad about my flat, it means they're excited about the place that they have to live. You know, this is the same language even in the Western world, between two different cultures, is is interpreted very differently. Here, these people interpreted this as, indeed, Jesus is is the Christ. That He's proclaiming that He's the Christ, that He's one with God. And it says they picked up stones to stone Him. So remember, you have this crowd of people around Him. You say, well, where'd they get stones? In Houston, it's hard to find a stone. It really is. In Jerusalem, it is not hard to find a stone. Not at all. All you ever do is walk over stones. I mean, the whole place is stones everywhere. There's just rocks everywhere. So, you, you just close your eyes, bend down and touch the ground. You're touching a rock in Jerusalem. And, and um, so they bent down and they picked up stones to stone. You've got a crowd around him and they're picking up stones to start throwing at him and he is surrounded. This is the picture of what we have. Now, I want to go back uh, and, and, and follow on this point where Jesus said, Jesus said to them, uh, in verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I think the NIV says, uh, my sheep listen to my voice, right? Doesn't it say that in the NIV? Anybody have, that's, that's what it says in the, okay. Yeah, so, so, my sheep hear my voice, my sheep listen to my voice. So implicit within this statement, my sheep hear my voice, implicit in this statement is God speaks. God speaks. How are you going to hear His voice if He doesn't speak? So God speaks. 
If you just pick up the Scriptures, start reading in Genesis and work your way on through, you will find again and again and again, God spoke, God said, the Word of the Lord came. Again and again. The Scriptures are a book where God is speaking to His people. God speaks. He speaks through prophets. He speaks clearly. God said. God speaks. God proclaimed. This is what happens. God speaks. And I will tell you, one of my greatest difficulties as a Christian is discerning God's voice. Because I have this amazing imagination. I mean, I can imagine all sorts of things. I mean, I watch football. I imagine myself as a running back. I I do. And I get so excited. And and I'm just going to run and get that touchdown. I'm going to jump up right into the stands. And they're all going to pat me on the head and on my shoulder and tell me how great I am. I just imagine this. I have this amazing imagination. So one of the things that I can do with my imagination is I can, I can think that I hear God and miss Him sometimes. So in other words, I could, I could think, uh, um, the Lord just said to me, there's going to be a parking space right around the corner. And I turn around, and there may not be a parking space, so the Lord didn't say that to me. If the Lord had said that to me, He would have cleared away. He would have had a car disappear if He had to, to open up the parking space for me. We have to sometimes be careful about flippantly saying, well, God spoke to me, God said, God said. And I've dealt with students so many times, I've worked with them so many years, I remember this student was telling me that, you know, I I was trying to convince him to not stop with a master's degree, but to go on for a PhD. And he says, well, you know, God, God spoke to me that I should stop for a master's degree. I'm like, if God said that to you, I have nothing else to say. If God said that to you. Um, uh, But in all of my life, I've never heard God that clearly that God said, stop with your master's degree. But if he said that to you, okay. Well, lo and behold, the next day, God was saying to him something different to go on for his PhD. So in other words, God did not change his mind. All right? The poor young guy just wasn't hearing right. That's why I'm there, to sort this out for you. (laughs) Tell you what you need to do. But this is why we have to be careful about flippantly saying, God told me this, God told me that. And all of us will meet people, well, God said this, God said that. And you watch these people, and by the next day, God's telling them something different. Didn't God just tell you yesterday that you were to do this? And, and, and uh, so we really want to be careful about it. And the, the other thing is that, that uh, God does speak, but it's to him who seeks, finds. It's to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because God speaks in this gentle voice. And when we seek him, we discern his will. So for me, God speaks most clearly through the Scriptures. So if somebody says... Um, God told me to get a divorce. And I've heard this several times. I'm like, huh? God told you to get a divorce. God hates divorce. God hates it, the scriptures say. Now, there may be reasons where you're physically abused in the situation or your kids are being abused where you've, you've got to get away from a situation. That happens. That really happens. And, and, and I don't want to speak lightly of that. 
But we really have to be careful if, if God's telling us to do something that's not there in the Scriptures. I'll give you another one that I've heard. God told me to get a divorce and to marry this other woman. Again, show me in the Scriptures where God ever says to do something like that. It doesn't match up with the scriptural pattern. It is the Scriptures that speak to us. The Scriptures speak into our lives. So for me, I say, Lord, speak to me. So what do I do? And this is what you need to learn to do. Because this is the way God most often speaks. And most godly men that I know, they will testify the same thing. You pick up the Word of God and you start reading it and you say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. As I read this morning, speak to me. You know the situations that are before me. You know what I will confront. Lord, speak to me. He will encourage you. He will bring you joy. He will raise your faith. He speaks through the Scriptures again and again. He speaks through the Scriptures. And what happens often to me is as I'm reading, I'll read this this passage and my, my eyes keep getting drawn back to this passage. And I'm like, Lord, what are you saying to me? I just can't get past this this one line or these two lines. What are you saying to me? And I'll read it again and read it again. Lord, there's something you're trying to say. And boom, it comes alive. God is speaking to me directly for some situation that I'm confronting. And God speaks into my life, into a situation. Let me give you a few examples from from my past. So so here's one that actually touches all of you. and, and so what was happening is, is um, we were inviting college students into our home. We were graduate students. We were newly married. Shereen and I were newly married. We were inviting graduate students into our home. Uh, not graduate students, stu- college students. And, um, and I, you know, we would have these little gatherings and, and, and uh, Shireen would serve a meal and, and then, then we would study the Bible together. And I remembered it bothered me because they were just trashing the house. You know, it was just getting dirty. It was getting messed up. And uh, um, it, it just really started to bother me. And, and uh, you know, certain events were occurring that the, the house was really getting trashed. And then one day, in that time I was praying about, you know, should I even continue these meetings? Because they'd come in the apartment. And, and college students are not known for being clean did you know that? I mean, they'll come, in, they'll come in your house and just put their feet right up on the table. They do this. You've got a coffee table, they'll put your feet right up on the... This isn't... You know, these are people's homes. It's, it's not the dormitory. It's not the college. And so, did you know that that's not something you're supposed to do? And, and, uh, and, and, and so, they would do that. They do that type of thing. And sometimes big guys come in. Sometimes we get these football player guys that are over 300 pounds and... When they leave, the chair that they were sitting on is never the same. It's never the same again. We've had guys that have done that. We've been in, not this home because we, we, we have this, these tile floor, but we've been in other homes where these guys would come in and sit in these chairs, and then when they get up, there's these pock marks in the linoleum floor that remain there forever. And, and so things happen. And so I was reading in Proverbs... And my eye kept getting drawn back to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. And I was, just a, I was just a graduate student at the time. Proverbs 14, verse 4. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, 
but much revenue comes from the strength of the ox. Where no oxen are, the manger is clean, but much revenue comes from the strength of the ox. And so, why, Lord, does my eye keep getting drawn back to this? And then God began to speak to my heart. You can keep your little apartment clean by having no one in. But if you want to see the work of God in these young people's lives, you want to see the increase, you just commit your apartment to me. And from that day, I said, never will our home be closed. It will always be open to the service of the Lord. Forever our home will be open for the Lord's service. We're not going to have Tupperware parties, or not that kind of stuff, but we're going to have the service of the Lord and outreach. The home will be open. When God gives you confirmation from the Word, you can just grab hold of this thing. Just really grab hold of it. And how God speaks and turns into our lives. God does this. That's where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. Let me give you one other example. Um, one day, one day uh, uh, I was a postdoc, and Shereen and I were living, living just... just we were at Stanford University and just living right there in Menlo Park. I had a little apartment. I had to have two bedrooms because I had two kids and there were very strict housing ordinances. If you had, if you had four people living in a home, you had to have at least two bedrooms. And even though the, the two of the people were little people, they still had to have two bedrooms. And, and so we were on a really tight budget. And, and I got this thing in my head that, that women didn't need makeup. And look, I've repented. I'm past that. So, so, so don't, don't, don't pick on me now. But, you know, I'd tell Shereen, you know, you, you know, you don't need makeup. You look so beautiful just as you are. And, and, and I've, I've learned, like, like, to women, makeup is something really dear to them. It's sort of like, I don't know, like a pocket knife to a guy or, to, or a screwdriver or so, something. <laughs> you know, they, you just, you just got to have one. just got to have it. And, and so... Um, then she went out and she, because the, the, the manager of the apartment, the manager's wife, used to sell Mary Kay cosmetics. So she recruited Shireen. So Shireen brought this Mary Kay cosmetic sales kit to start selling. Now, I heard, that I thought it was $150, and I just could not believe it. That was a lot of money for me. And, and uh, a few weeks ago, Shireen told me it was much more than $150. <laughs> I thought it was only 150 and, and anyway, so she got this kit, and I was just, I was just beside myself. And then I was reading in Proverbs 27, one morning, Proverbs 27, verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And God just totally disarmed me, totally disarmed me, and He just spoke to me, just leave her alone. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And I remember she came walking out of the bedroom that morning. I had just had my quiet time. And I said to her, Shireen, you can have all the makeup you want anytime you want. And she looked at me. She's like, I never know where you're at. She said, she said you are a moody guy. You need to join the Moody Bible Institute. Because every time you read your Bible, you get some new philosophy on life. Well, I've never bothered her again on that and it turns out Shireen is so giving that these women would come to buy cosmetics and she didn't have the heart to charge them, so she'd just give it to them. And the whole kit went away. She was out of the business. And, and, uh, but in any case, God speaks to the heart. 
I have so many examples, and I have examples from today, where God has spoken, where I've had to deal in tough business situations, and God will speak to me from a verse about, uh, about how, how we need to discipline elders and princes. I mean, you just grab a verse like this, and it was perfect for the day. Where God has spoken into my heart through scriptures, where I was ready to just nail a guy, just come at him for, for, for gossiping about me and just really wanted to give it to him. And then God said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Just the scriptures came zooming right back into my life. And I just take hold of them. Some days when I'm totally lost, what to do in a situation, I say, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. And it doesn't come that day. And the next day, Lord, speak to me through the Scriptures. Where we are imploring God, speak to me through the Scriptures. That's why He says, He says in, 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 uh, in, in John chapter 10, when He starts talking about His sheep, He says that, that uh, in verse 27, John 10, 27, My sheep hear My voice, I know them and they follow me. They hear my voice, discerning God. This is the fellowship that we can have. Then he says, and I know them. And I know them. I know my sheep. He says, I know them. Jesus knows me. Now what if I got married to Shireen and I said, okay, um, so you you stay here in this house. I'll get you this nice house, all right? You stay here in this house and uh, I'll come and see you on Sundays. But actually, I'm not there to see you. I'm just coming there so that I could hear somebody else talk about you. How's that? I'll come every Sunday and hear somebody talk about you here at the house. Other than that, I'm gone for the rest of the week. And you just enjoy your nice house. Get a nice house here. Just enjoy it. Now, knowing Sheree, she'd enjoy it. She'd have lots of people over and she'd be <laughs> fine without me. But, but it, it doesn't make for a healthy marriage, Right? It's the same in a relationship. If all we do is just, God, I'll see you in church, and I'll hear somebody else talk about you in church, and then we're good, right? You know, and and, and, uh, we're good for the week. No, it doesn't happen like that. It's not like that. He says, I know them. And relationship comes by fellowship. Relationship comes by spending time with somebody. So if all we do is say, Wake up, Lord, bless this day, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Boom. I'm gone. Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. Boom. I'm gone. There is no time to hear. There is no time to get to know. You spend time with God. You will get to know Him. And He will get to know you. He says, I know them. I know my children. I know what they like. I know what they don't like. I know my wife. I know what she likes. I know... And anybody who's here who's married can testify to this. I know what things not to say. I know, I can speak two words. And it just, just you know, the whole relationship goes crumbling down. And, and I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm doing penance for a week to try, <laughs> try to get this thing back to where I was. So I've learned what not to say. You learn what not to say, you learn what to say. You look good in that color. Wow. I'm colorblind. I don't even know what color. I just say, you look good in that color. And she feels very good about that. You learn what to say. And you learn what not to say. 
It's like that in a relationship. You spend time with people. You learn what it is that encourages them. You learn their love language. You learn what it is that blesses them. And, and um, he says, I know them. Jesus comes and he really gets to know you, so he gets to know what you like. That's really a good position. He says, I know them and they follow me. It comes by following Christ. And when we stop following Jesus, I'll tell you what happens. The thief comes in to rob, to kill, and to destroy, Jesus says. The first thing the thief does is he will rob your joy. You stop following Jesus, you will lose your joy. Once you lose your joy, you will lose your strength. And once you lose your strength, you will lose your faith. You'll not lose your salvation. But you lose your joy, you will lose all strength. You will become weak and the world will really beat you up and you'll be unable to recover. And then you will lose your faith and you'll start being cynical in your faith. And you'll start to to say, oh, well, you know, why do I need church? These Christians and everything is bad. And it's not just the church. Everything is bad. My boss is bad. My life is bad. My car is bad. My home is bad. My spouse is bad. My children are bad. Everything is bad when you've lost your faith. You'll lose your joy, you'll lose your strength, you'll lose your faith if you stop following Jesus. Your salvation remains sure. No one can snatch that away. Come to Jesus today. And if you're in Jesus, follow Him. Get to know Him. And ask Him, Lord, speak to me. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I pray for the outpouring of the Lord Jesus Christ in these young people's lives. Father, I pray that they would, for those that know you, would learn to hear and to discern your voice. Father, may they hear your voice and discern it well. Father, I pray that they'd learn to hear your voice through the daily reading of scriptures, through the daily reading of the Bible, that they would learn to hear your voice, I pray. And Father, I pray that you would take their hearts and cause them to get to know you and that you would know them and that they would follow you. And Father, I pray for anyone here who does not know you, for anyone here who has not invited Jesus into their lives, that they would stop and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. Father, I pray that you do that even right now in their hearts, that they would ask you to forgive them. And Lord, I pray that they would come to know the glory of your salvation, how that is so sure, and that then they can hear your voice and can be known by you, and they would follow you. Father, have mercy upon them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.